Well, good morning. Good morning. Your voice is louder than mine this morning. That's good. I'm dealing with a little bit of sinuses, so that's okay. I'm going to move these remotes down below. Will that hurt anything? I'll put these underneath. Well, it is Memorial Day weekend, and I trust that you've been enjoying the, uh, the beautiful weather we've been having. Uh, certainly, we want to remember as I open in prayer this morning those who have gone before us to provide for us. Uh, so we'll include that in our prayer. Also, we received a notice this morning from Mike and Joanne Hope. I think you probably know them. Can't hear me very well. Could you turn me up just a little bit more, John? Uh, that may be too much. Uh, they're serving in Ukraine. But this is fitting for the message this morning. Uh, we're talking about transitions and people moving throughout the book of Acts. And Mike and Joanne's history started in Russia when they were serving in Russia. They uh, were eventually kicked out of Russia and moved down to Crimea. And as you know, Russia took over Crimea, so they were kicked out of Crimea and moved up to Ukraine. And they are now serving in uh, uh, Kiev in Ukraine. And uh, if you've been watching the news, Kiev has been being bombed almost every night for the last, I think they said, 15 nights. Uh, so they haven't been sleeping very well. But uh, fortunately, the uh, defenses of Ukraine have held, and uh, no damage, no serious damage or loss of life has occurred in, Ukraine, uh, in Kiev. Uh, so we want to continue to pray for that whole situation of the war that's going on there. So let's just open in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for the privilege and the opportunity you've granted to us to be here this morning. In a world such as ours, we know that there are many other things that we could be doing. I'm thankful that these folks have come out to hear your word and to allow you to minister to us. And I just pray that you might encourage us and strengthen us as we spend time in Acts chapter 17 this morning. Just pray for Mike and Joanne. Uh, Lord, they... Uh, they've been struggling with health issues and a variety of other things uh, over the last uh, couple of terms. And right now they're struggling with uh, tiredness for, for not sleeping from these bombs. And we just pray that you'll renew their strength. We thank you for the church plants that are uh, taking place in Kiev during the midst of a war. Lord, uh, we think of that and it's kind of hard for us to imagine how they can concentrate and do those kinds of things when their very lives are being threatened. And yet they are doing that and we thank you for them. We thank you for those who have served our country so faithfully through the years and have given their lives. And on this Memorial Day weekend, we want to just uh, honor them and just honor this country. We thank you for it. We certainly have many things uh, wrong with our country, and yet we still believe it's uh, the best country in the world. And we, we just pray for revival once again to come. I'd love to see this happen. I'd love to see us focus our attention once again on Jesus Christ and him crucified in our nation. Uh, the Lord, as we turn our attention now to the book of Acts again, I just pray that you'll open our eyes to what happened then and what certainly could happen again. Uh, so we just pray this all in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. You know, when Mike asked me to preach, I was very encouraged that you're going through the book of Acts. I actually wrote a commentary on the book of Acts when I was in uh, college, Bible college. It's a fascinating book, isn't it? It's probably one of the most exciting books in the New Testament in some ways. It's a history of what was going on, and certainly that's where we pick up in the book of Acts. Many things going on with uh, the movement of uh, God throughout uh, you know, Asia and Europe. Life cycles are kind of an interesting study, at least I think they are. Uh, today, with the influx of the electronics that we now have, uh, wizardry and everything else, our cell phones are outdated almost before we get them home and take them out of the box. 
televisions and laptops. You know, you might be having an old laptop, but you can't find a program for it anymore because uh, the operating system won't handle it. So things are changing rapidly. Uh, it seems more about the newest technology rather than the uh, uselessness of the piece of equipment. Uh, the technology is changing so quickly that even though you may have a new phone, we just switched uh, carriers in January, and my phone, even though it was just two years old, uh, would not work on the new system. So you had to switch phones. There's nothing wrong with the phone, just, you know, it just wouldn't work. And, you know, we look at this and we, we know that change is part of life. Uh, today it seems like faster is better is almost the mantra of modern day uh, life. You know, faster cars, faster this, faster that. Uh, it wasn't too long ago that a friend of mine brought over a 1963 Stingray, Corvette Stingray, because uh, he knew that was my favorite car ever. I love that automobile. I never had the opportunity to drive one, but uh, he was a mechanic and somebody had one in his shop that he was working on. He asked me if he could bring it over and we went tooling up the highway. I did not speed. Uh, <laughs> I was tempted. That car had a lot of power, but it, it was fun. You know, technology, faster and faster. He also had a brand new, well, it wasn't brand new for him, but a newer Corvette a few months ago. Uh, and he wanted me to drive that too. I couldn't because there was so much technology in the operating system that you have to probably read quite a bit of the manual before you can get in and drive the thing. So things are changing very rapidly, and that's just part of our culture. It always has been, although the pace seems to be much faster now than maybe at any other time in history. But one thing I think we learned from this, and I think it's a good analogy to keep in mind as we look to the scripture this morning, is change is expected. Change is expected. When you have a little baby, you don't expect that little baby to act the same the day you bring it home as it will when it's 10 years old, right? The baby's to change, it's to grow, and that's true in our spiritual lives as well. The scriptures explain to us that uh, growth is natural, growth is good, and uh, it happens at different paces for different people, uh, but it's always part of what God has for us. As Pastor Mike concluded his message last week, he reminded us of what was happening in the lives of Paul and Silas. And when they were in jail, they did something very unusual, something maybe different than a lot of people would have done. Uh, they sang praises to God in the jail system. They sang it evidently out loud. Uh, I would have probably emptied the jail if I would have tried that, uh, if they could have gotten out with my voice, but they didn't care. They weren't doing it for anybody other than God. But the interesting thing is, as, as Pastor Mike mentioned, is as they sang, it made an impact on the people, and particularly the, the guard, you remember? Uh, he got converted, and it was an interesting type of thing. So uh, Paul and Silas were growing. Their ministry wasn't really about that, as they thought they probably didn't consider ending up in a jail uh, because of their preaching of the Word of God, and yet uh, that's what happened to them, and they took advantage of it. I think a lot of people in that situation would have probably griped and groaned. You know, today we are full of Americans who don't know much about satisfaction, I think. And so anything that goes wrong, we hear all about what's going wrong, Correct. The doctor misdiagnosed this. My car mechanic didn't do this right, or, or my mom and dad didn't handle that right, or the teacher didn't, and we hear a lot of that. Uh, Paul and Silas, however, didn't want anything to do with that kind of thing, so instead they, they praised God for the situation, and they were used by God mightily. We see in Acts 17, the first 15 verses, we'll read it a little bit at a time as we go through it, but we see in Acts chapter 17 an illustration of personal and corporate growth in the lives of not only Paul and Silas, but of the church of their day. Spiritual growth can be painful. I just want to emphasize that. And you all know that. Most of you here are old enough to have gone through times of change, and change is not always easy. Uh, we've had changes in our lives. You've had changes in your life, and some of them are difficult. 
I was talking uh, with uh, Junior a little while ago, and as we get older, it seems one of the things, particularly that men, men deal with is, well, it's not just men, I shouldn't say that, because my wife deals with it as well. We don't like the things that we can't do anymore because of the aging process. Uh, physically, there are things that we cannot do as we get older that we did 10 years ago. And it frustrates us a little bit. I was telling him that I had to have my grandson come over and mow my grass yesterday. I'm just not feeling well, and I didn't want to lose my voice completely for this morning. Those, those kinds of realizations are difficult at times. And Paul and Silas were facing some difficult changes in their lives, but they did not stop. When this team came into uh, this part of the country, Macedonia, as, as Pastor Mike mentioned last week, Luke wasn't even with them yet. Luke joined the team, and so the team was growing. And as we're going to see in this passage, the team is being dispersed again. So as they moved on, things were rapidly changing. We say it was happening fast uh, in our culture today, well, it was for them as well. As we look at this, I want us to consider the, the, the concept of transition. They were moving from one place to another place now, from Philippi to Thessalonica. If you have your Bibles open, I encourage you to uh, look back at chapter 16 for a moment. We're going to read verses uh, 40 down through verse 1 of chapter 17, just to refresh our minds. Just a couple of verses, actually. Chapter 16, verse 40 down through verse 1 of chapter 17. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and encouraged them. Then they left. Now, I think that's interesting, too. They were commanded to leave by the officials in uh, Philippi, and they didn't leave right away. They stopped at Lydia's house once again, which is where they'd been meeting, where they'd been staying. They wanted to send their greetings. They wanted to encourage them before they moved on, and so they did. And in verse 1 of chapter 17, when they had passed through Epiphilus and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. Now, the transition that we see here is, uh, is one of place, and it's one of team changes and one of cultural changes. Chuck Swindoll, when he preached on this passage of Scripture several years ago, uh, uh, wrote an interesting little phrase, and, and I jotted it down. I think it's appropriate here. He said, more converts, more beatings, and another night spent in jail were now passed, and they moved on towards Thessalonica. Not, not the kind of thing you want to leave behind. When you leave a ministry, you like to leave a ministry and say, man, everything was great, and just it's time to move on. And not the case here. They were asked to leave once again, and they moved on because God was directing them. We don't read, uh, however, of them being discouraged. It's just not in the scriptures. That's a very hard thing to do, is it not? I think it is for most of us because we are used to certain things in our lives. Uh, and so for them, I, I think we sometimes forget that they were just human beings like we are. A different time, a different place geographically, different language, but they were still human beings. And as human beings, they shared a lot of the things that we share. Evidently, Paul and Silas and Timothy left Luke at Philippi, according to the text. And you have to remember that Luke had just joined the team. He was writing about it in the book of Acts, but he was just now physically joining the team. And as Pastor Mike mentioned, uh, and it's good to remember that Luke was there firsthand now, writing it, and yet he wasn't moving on. He stayed there at Philippi. There was a change in geography from uh, Philippi uh, to Thessalonica, or excuse me, uh, yes, to where... To, uh, where we are. Yes, Thessalonica. I've lost my place. I'm sorry. They went along the Via Ignatia, which is the major Roman road across that part of the northern Aegean Sea. It connected all the way over to Rome, if you followed up and around. 
it was a trade route, and uh, so it was a, a good location to preach the gospel. But there were some differences. In Philippi, there was no uh, Jewish uh, presence. To have a Jewish uh, temple or tabernacle, you had to have at least 10 adult men, and uh, they didn't, evidently, in Philippi. And so when they arrived in Philippi, they were uh, proclaiming the gospel primarily to, uh, to Gentile people and trying to reach the Jews that were there. When they arrived in Thessalonica, it was different. There was a, a synagogue there, so there was a Jewish presence there. And so their attention was focused most, uh, or first of all, uh, at the Jewish synagogue, which is the way Paul normally ministered. This required great sensitivity on the part of Paul and Silas. Have you ever gone to a different part of even America? Have you gone down south and noticed that the way you have to communicate down south is a little bit different than what we communicate up here in Ohio? I ministered in New York for several years when we first started out, and we drove our car with New York license plates once down south. And when we got to Columbia, South Carolina, I could not believe the unwelcomeness we experienced. Seriously, this is probably 20 years ago, uh, 25 years ago. Uh, it was longer than that, a little bit longer than that. But uh, obscenities, uh, people giving us signs because of the New York license plates. Uh, they were still people in Columbia, South Carolina that had not gotten over the Civil War yet. And any Yankee, as they call us, uh, just were not friendly to them. Well, those kinds of things still exist here in our country, maybe not as much as they did then, but change is difficult. We get used to one thing, and, and we have to experience something else. And when it comes to communication, the same thing is true. If you go someplace and try to talk to them the way we talk here, you, you know, down south, and we were just talking to, to Berlin's sister uh, this past week, if you want a cold drink down south, it's, 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 it's a Coke. You might want a ginger ale, but it's a Coke. What kind of Coke do you want? What do you mean, what kind of Coke do you want? It's ginger ale. You know, in different places, there are vernacular. There are words that are just specific to the location where you are. For Paul and Silas, they had to adjust from a Gentile community, largely Gentile community, to a mixed community of Jews and Gentiles, and things were a little bit different. So the way he proclaimed the gospel had to be a little bit different. It's okay, you don't change the gospel, you just change the means in which you communicate the gospel. So the ministry of Thessalonica was just a little bit different. If we were to jump ahead just a few months, the Apostle Paul wrote uh, the two letters to Corinthians that we have. And in those two letters, he mentions that uh, the, the gospel as it was preached in Thessalonica went forth with great power, with great power. And that power was because of the presence of the Holy Spirit guiding them. It says they received the word eagerly. Now, wouldn't it be great if every time you tried to share the gospel with somebody, they received the word eagerly? That's probably not been your experience. It's not been my experience. I'd like it if every time I preached, wherever I preached, that everybody received the word of God eagerly. It doesn't always work that way, though. Sometimes it's because of the speaker. It could be because of the preacher. It could be because the people just are preoccupied with other things on their mind. It could be a variety of things. But in this particular case, when Paul and Silas preached in Thessalonica, uh, the people received it warmly. They believed and they tried to uh, actually, uh, they tried to, to live their lives like Paul did. Uh, and Paul says, you know, in one place, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Uh, it's a great passage of scripture. Uh, just reminding us that all we need to do is be witnesses to what we know. Paul said, don't follow my example. You know, it's 1 Corinthians 11, 1 if you want that reference. Paul didn't say just follow my example because that would be asking us to follow the example of a human being, and that's never a good thing. He says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ, and that's what was happening in Thessalonica. 
These people were choosing to follow Paul because Paul was a representative of Jesus Christ. Now, they were in a city, even though it was part of the Roman Empire at the time. It was a city that was not ruled strictly by a Roman authority. It was ruled by local leaders. And these local leaders looked at things a little bit differently. They tried uh, to represent Rome well, uh, but they also tried to listen to the people, their constituency. Now, uh, being ruled by local leaders is, is kind of the way America is supposed to be functioning. Uh, but as we've experienced in America, it's sometimes hard to believe that our elected officials are representing our constituency, isn't it? The decisions they make and the rules they pass and the laws they pass, is sometimes we make the accusation that they're not even in touch with us. And sometimes that's true, unfortunately. But in this particular case, they gave some latitude uh, to Paul and Silas to proclaim the word of God, at least for a while. Now, it's not always easy, I don't think, to know uh, how to treat government unless you study the scriptures. Scriptures are very clear that we have a responsibility to government unless the government is leading us away from God. I won't go into it any more than that. That's just a simple overview. And so Paul and Silas uh, cooperated with the government as much as they could, but yet they proclaimed the truth of God's word. Now Thessalonica was also a financially secure uh, place because it was a port city. It was also on uh, the Ignatia Highway, as I mentioned, a roadway, a Roman uh, trade route. Uh, and they had spas there, hot, hot springs. And, you know, it was a vacation place for a lot of people. Those people that had money would come there on vacation. Now, sometimes a materialistic culture can be difficult to proclaim the gospel. And as we know, because some people, particularly people who are good people and people who have enough money to make it, uh, don't really need God. And I've been reading a lot of books. This past year, I read all of Francis Schaeffer's uh, books, 22 volumes. And Schaefer died, I think, in the 1980s. And he was talking all about the change in culture, Western culture, and how we got to where we are, and how the church is becoming uh, degraded by culture rather than us influencing culture. Uh, just this past month, I read uh, Chuck Colson's book, was a follow-up to it. He wrote it in 1999 and updated it, or what shall we do, or shall we lead our lives, how shall we lead our lives? And he draws the same conclusion. He said, in the church right now, the church is being governed by people who don't have a solid understanding of the Word of God for lots of reasons. And I'm not going to go into all the details of that, but what he's saying is we are changing so rapidly that we are adapting to the world rather than being a force in the world causing the world to adapt to us, which is what Paul and Silas were able to do in Thessalonica for a while. But remember, they were asked to leave Philippi, <laughs> And they would be asked to leave Thessalonica. So the gospel of Jesus Christ has always had mixed uh, reception wherever it's been proclaimed. And it is here in America now. It's not as easy to be a Christian as it was even 20 years ago in America. Because if you stand up and proclaim the truth of God against uh, lesbianism or homosexuality or, or what's happening in our educational system or uh, transgenderism or any of those things, if you stand up and, and make a biblical presentation about those things, you're going to get flack. And sometimes it can be legal flack, even in America. So we need to be careful, but we need to be proclaimers of the gospel and let the outcome fall where it may. And that's hard to, to believe in today's culture that we're here, but that's where we are. Well, the method, method and message are described in the first three verses of chapter 17. Uh, Paul sought uh, out the Jews first, different than when he went to Philippi, remember. He went to the synagogue, which is what he normally would do if he went into a city that had a synagogue. <laughs> <clears throat> Excuse me, because you remember he was Jewish, 
And he had a special, special place in his heart for the Jews, even though his calling was primarily to the Gentiles, as God called him. He also reasoned with them. So I'm going to read these first uh, three verses of chapter 17 again. When they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, excuse me, my voice is just not with me today, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue, and his custom was uh, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and pr proving that the Christ had to suffer and to rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ, he said. Now, when we read passages like this and hear passages like this, it's good to understand what Paul is doing. He's not saying, this is what I know and this is what I believe, although that was true. He takes them back to the root of his understanding, the scriptures themselves. And so what it's indicating to us is that we should know the scriptures as well as we can. We should continue to memorize scripture. Now, I'm doing that at this point in my life, at this advanced age, I guess. Uh, and it's harder for me now than when I was in my 30s. But I'm still doing it. One of the passages I'm learning is from uh, Peter, uh, First Peter chapter, Second Peter chapter one, uh, where it starts out very clearly: the power that we have is in Jesus Christ. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises, so that through them we might partake of the divine nature and escape the corruption that's in the world. Now just think about those words for a moment. Escape the corruption that's in this world. And how do we do that? By knowing the scriptures. So these problems that we're facing today are not new. Uh, they were maybe a little different types of problems, <coughs> but they were the same type of problem in the sense that they were sinful. We still struggle with that, and so we have to take a stand. We have to take a stand. He introduced them to Jesus in verse 3 wasn't just about a religion. You know, all the world religions will introduce you to something to try to get you to be saved, whatever that is in the religion. That's what they want for you. It's only Christianity that introduces you to a person, Jesus Christ, who provides salvation through his death, burial, and resurrection, through living here a perfect life and dying on the cross and suffering. Could he offer himself to the Father as an appeasement for the sin that we would all have? And that's what Paul talked to them about. He used the scriptures to make his points. What a gift the Apostle Paul had in expounding the word of God. Now you probably all, as Christians, have your favorite preachers, the ones that you like to listen to that seem to bring home the points better than maybe others. And uh, you get used to them and you like that. And that's a good thing. But you know there are times when God will use preachers and not even let them speak. Uh, you've probably all heard, well, maybe not, Charles Finney. Charles Finney was late 1700s, early 1800s evangelist. He traveled across uh, the upper part of our country, primarily in New York. And uh, I want to just ref refresh your minds by telling you a little story out of his own autobiography. He was uh, preaching in upstate New York, uh, up around uh, Rome, New York. And, uh, you know, he was preaching and uh, on one Sunday, he was asked to go to a small village along the Ariskany uh, Creek there. and uh, So he went down to the schoolhouse, and the schoolhouse filled up. Wouldn't you like it every, every time you had church service, you'd say, come to church tonight, you, you know, you'll fill it up. Well, you have to remember the culture was a little bit different then. They didn't have all the television programs and radio programs and things going on in the community. So when a community event like this was, was opened up, people would come, and that's what happened. 
Well, when he came that night, he preached, and he had a powerful moving of the Holy Spirit fall upon that place. Uh, well, his brother-in-law happened to be the superintendent of a local plant. The plant was owned by an unconverted man, and it was a fairly large plant. And so they invited him to come the next day uh, to the plant. So he went into the plant that morning, and the Spirit of God fell upon that plant. And before he said anything, uh, the people were just swooning, literally swooning and falling on the ground. Uh, before him. Uh, they recognized him from the night before when he'd preached. And after a little while, the superintendent, which by the way was his brother-in-law, uh, the superintendent said, we need to shut the plant down. I want to read to you what, he, what the superintendent said uh, to make this all uh, come about. He said, stop the mill and let the people attend to religion, for it is more important that our souls should be saved than that this factory run. Now, can you imagine that happening in America today? I'm not saying it couldn't, because I think it can, but it takes a mighty powerful working of the Holy Spirit. And I think in America today, one of the problems we have, as A.W. Tozer said could happen to us, is that the Holy Spirit could leave a lot of our churches and a lot of our homes in America today, and we wouldn't even know he's gone. Because we've gotten used to doing things so well, so powerfully, uh, we don't even experience him the way that we should. And yet for Charles Finney, he experienced the power and the moving of the Spirit of God like Paul did in the New Testament book of Acts, and God was pleased. And as he continues to write in his autobiography, almost everybody in that plant was saved during the next three days as he preached the Word of God. Now that's what the power of the Word of God could do. I wonder if we really believe that still today. Well, I do. I, since I entered ministry in 1983, I've been praying for revival. You know, uh, revival is one of those things... Uh, but you have to have vival first. <laughs> you know, vival's not a word, obviously, but you have to have something there. You have to have a, a base for revival to come. And I think in America we do have that base. A lot of people in America still have some understanding of the Bible from what they've been taught in Bible school or someplace else. So I think if God would suddenly pour out his spirit, much like in Asbury and other places in the last few months have been happening, I think our country could be turned around again. So that's what I continue to pray for. Now, a lot of people are saying, uh, David Jeremiah and others, and I'm certainly inclined to believe we are in the last days. I don't know what you think of prophecy, but I think things are winding down. I really do. Now, how much longer that could be, I don't know. But the way things are going, they're going more rapidly than I have ever seen them in my lifetime, and probably more rapidly than you have, uh, changing, and they're not changing for the good. You know, government right now is not on our side as far as Christians. The schools are not on your kids' side as far as Christianity is concerned. The textbooks that are being written, all you have to do is pay attention to what's going on in the school systems, uh, and you'll understand what's happening in our culture. You know, uh, but we are here as a presence. The Apostle Paul was there as a presence. The pleased and the provoked. Some were really welcoming to Paul into his message, and others were not. Some Jews, many Greeks, it says, and a few prominent women responded while others, Jews and Gentiles alike, became upset and violent toward him. The host of the missionary team was Jason. As you read in this passage, Jason was uh, taken in charge to, with <coughs> all kinds of things that he didn't do. Uh, they really went to find Paul and Silas, but Paul and Silas weren't there, so they took Jason instead. So things were difficult for some, and yet the brothers remained true. Silas And Paul were sent away to Berea, and others stayed. Acts chapter 17, verse 6, I think the 
English version standard does a better job of translating this than the NIV, which I use. It says this. Listen carefully to this. Maybe you have the ESV with you. Chapter 6 of verse 17 of the book of Acts. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. They've turned the world upside down by proclaiming Jesus Christ. Now listen to the thoughts of Dr. James Montgomery Boyce. He died several years ago, but I loved his proclamation of the word. I wish all Christians would upset the world that way. A lot are upsetting other people, but not like that. They should be upsetting the world by bringing the grace of God excuse me, to it through the preaching of his word. This alone is able to bring the world back to its senses and bring blessing. I believe he died around 1980, if I remember right. Folks, we have a, a tremendous opportunity here. We really do, right here in this part of Ohio. And it can spread across the country. It can spread across the world. In 2015, Indiana Governor Mike Pence had the opportunity to sign into law the Religious Freedom Act in Indiana. And the Religious Freedom Act was basically one man, one woman for marriage for life. That's what the bill was. It was passed unanimously, well, not unanimously, but by a strong majority, uh, all the way up through until he signed it on his desk and it became law. However, times were a-changing, as they say, and they still are. So in his autobiography, he wrote this. The ink had hardly dried on the bill when boycotts were announced. Angry statements were issued by corporations. The woke brigades of politicians, media, and corporate America mobilized before wokeism was even a thing. Now, I still don't quite understand the word wokeism. I've studied it, and I know basically what they're talking about, everything that we don't believe they do, it seems like. And they want you to accept it as being standard. And so homosexuality is acceptable as another way of life. No, it's not another way of life. It's a sinful behavior. We are to love these people. We are trying to win them to the, to the kingdom of God. But we can't accept that as just another uh, behavior that God likes. Uh, it's not. And we can do that with all the sin issues that we're dealing with in our day and age. And we can rationalize and we can sympathize and, and we can pray for them. But we cannot call it right, which is what wokeism wants us to do. And that's what's in our school systems and in our political offices. <coughs> so as Mike Pence found... Even though Ohio, not unanimously, but strongly supported it, when the media got a hold of it, they wanted to tear it apart. Taking a stand for God can sometimes be painful. Paul is being attacked from all sides here in Thessalonica, and yet he keeps moving on. Spiritual growth can be painful. For Paul and his team, it was time to move on. There are at least two ways that we can deal with the potential of change. Two ways. One of them is that we can reject the change. And probably most of us here uh, are old enough to know if you reject the change, what can happen? You know, I'm even talking if it's a good change, if God's leading the change. If you reject that change, it's not going to be pleasant because there's going to be challenges from God's Holy Spirit. He won't leave you alone. I love what Ravi Zacharias used to say, the hound of heaven will not leave you alone. And how to have it be God. And he won't. The Holy Spirit will not leave you alone if you're trying to get out of the will of God. Well, that's one possibility. The other possibility is acceptance and moving on and being blessed by it and being the best that we can be. The second response is what Paul did. Paul and Silas, they moved on. By doing so, it opened up another door of ministry for them. 
One which uh, I get excited about, that's the last part of our text this morning, the church of Berea. When they moved on to Berea, which is just a few miles around uh, the upper part of the Aegean Sea, uh, they found, again, a, a, a receptive group of people. And I, I particularly like this group. It's in verses 10 through 12, if you want to look at it there in your Bibles. They began in a synagogue, and they received a favorable response. They received the word eagerly. Now, I like the word eagerly that's thrown in there. They didn't just listen to it and say, I'm going to consider this, but they received it eagerly. And they compared Paul's message to the Word of God. This is the part that encourages me more than any other passage of the book of Acts, I think. They took Paul's teaching, recognizing him as a preacher of the Word of God, and they brought it back to the Scripture that they had available to them at the time, which would have been the Old Testament, and some of the letters that had already been written and sent around, and they compared what Paul was saying to the Word of God. And I think a lot of people would stay out of trouble in churches today if they would take what was being preached and on their own go back and study the Word of God and find out if what the sermon was about was true. And then if they did that, then the truth that they were taught that Sunday morning would become their truth. And if it becomes your truth, you become more convinced that it's something that you're going to live and die for if necessary. And I think that's what Paul is wanting us to do, and he did. Outsiders, however, showed up to start trouble. Isn't it interesting? How people come along and something very good is happening and there are those who don't want the very good thing to happen. And so they showed up, tried to create problems, brought all kinds of charges, and the team was again dispersed. They were asked to leave, verses 14 and 15. <coughs> Excuse me. Silas and Timothy stayed in Berea. Paul went on to Athens in verse 15. Now note the original team as they came into this section. Luke was now left in Philippi. He just joined the team a little while earlier. Silas and Timothy were left in Berea. And it was only Paul that went on to Athens by himself. So what should we gain from this passage of Scripture? And there's a lot in here that you could study on your own. But there are a few things that I think would be helpful for us to take away from here this morning. First of all, obeying God requires determination instead of discouragement. You know, sometimes... Berlin and I were talking on, on the way out here. Uh, I cannot ever remember being so sick that I couldn't preach unless I was in the hospital. God has always given me the strength to do that. It's not always been pleasant for the hearers or pleasant even for me in some ways. But God will always give us the power to accomplish what he wants us to accomplish. And the proclamation of the gospel is something he wants us all to be part of. He wants us to be setting a tone in our families he wants us to be setting a tone in our communities. He wants us to be on the cutting edge of culture, not the other way around. And as difficult as, as, as it is in our day and age, I think that we need to do a better job of that in our churches. We have a teacher in uh, Geneva, or, or in Dover School System, a music teacher that does a wonderful job with the music program, and she always includes, she's a, she's a believer, she's always able to include Christian music in her programs. And she does it as just another option she offers to the kids, not as something that she's trying to proclaim. But all those kids to the music department will be exposed to Christian music. Uh, you know, and there are ways that we can do this without uh, closing the door on the opportunities that we have. Uh, so even in our day and age, we can do this. So obeying God does require us to push on and not be discouraged. Uh, we can be frustrated sometimes with all the things that we can't do anymore that we used to do. 
But just think back to Paul and Barnabas. What would happen? We have another group from another church in Dover uh, that about once a month they stand out on the square in Dover and they proclaim the truth of God's word with their bullhorns and everything else. Now, that's not the way I would probably do it, but I give them kudos for want, wanting to do that. You know, they have their signs, you know, and honk your horn if you love Jesus and all that kind of stuff. That's something evidently God has laid on their hearts to do. Uh, so what is God laying on your heart to do? That's what you should do. When the Holy Spirit of God speaks, he doesn't want us to rationalize. He doesn't want us to go back to a Bible study. He certainly doesn't want us to gather a group of Christians around and say, what do you think of this? Not first. Well, the first thing we do is go back to the Word of God and find out what God is really saying to us and then obey God. Then obey God. Second thing, rejection can be a product of sharing the truth. Paul and Barnabas, if you remember, didn't always get along, did they? At one point, the team divided. And Pastor Mike mentioned this last week, I believe it was last week. And even though that was a difficult time in their lives, God created a second missionary team. Rather than discouragement, the two teams went forward proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. And the good news of Jesus Christ was advanced more rapidly, even through a difficult time. You remember the passage out of Genesis chapter 50, verse 20? You probably will when I remind you of what it talks about. Joseph was in Egypt. And at the end of the book of Genesis, he's telling a story. He's now the commander of all of Egypt, directly under, uh, under Pharaoh. He had authority over everything. And his brothers had come, and they were exchanging everything back and forth. And uh, his brothers, you know, sold him into slavery. And that's how Joseph ended up in, in Egypt. And when they found out that who they were dealing with in Egypt was really their brother, Joseph, they were afraid for their lives. Because Joseph had the power to do to them whatever he wanted. And yet, what did Joseph say? You have meant it for evil, but God has meant it for good. Folks, if you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, if he is your Savior, whatever happens to you, whatever happens to you, regardless of whether it's an evil propagated upon you by Satan himself, or a disease that might be hard upon your body. God has a hand in it by allowing it. And whatever God has a hand on, he can prosper you in it, even if it's through the taking of your life. A few weeks ago, we had the privilege and the sad opportunity of going to Morgantown and saying goodbye to one of our dear friends of over 40 years. Her and her husband were part of a small group that were fostered out of Morgantown Alliance Church. There were five couples of us in the beginning, and we've stayed in touch all these years. And the last 20 years, she's been sick. The last two particularly, she's been uh, pretty much bedridden. And she was Berlin's best friend. But she remained true to God. And in doing her funeral, as hard as that was for me, I reminded people, you know, there is no such thing in this life for a Christian as a devastation that should turn our backs on God because God allows us. And through Judy's life, she touched many, many people, her own family, 20 or 22 grandchildren, I can't remember, a bunch of them. And she loved them all, difficult times and everything else, but she was there. And so it was a glorious time honoring her and welcoming her into heaven. And someday, 
maybe somebody will be able to come to your funeral and say some very wonderful things about the testimony you've had for Jesus Christ and be able to say as Paul did follow my example as I followed the example of Christ what would Paul want us to do? He wants to take this message and move on and be a positive witness for Jesus Christ because this passage of Scripture is all about the truth that Jesus is alive. He's not in a grave in Jerusalem. He's alive. He's alive. And he wants us to proclaim him to the world. Shall we pray? Father, we thank you so very